Your test has already been passed. Welcome to Right Start with Jim Custer, teaching pastor of Grace Polaris Church in Columbus, Ohio. Jesus passed all the tests he was given. We have no trouble believing that. Though he was tried physically, emotionally, spiritually, mentally, in every dimension of his humanity, his scores were perfect. But can we believe that he has taken the test for us, that his score is our score? We'll get Pastor Jim's thoughts on Hebrews 7 and a review today in part two of the sermon, A Priest Who Lives Forever. Verse 26, for this is the kind of high priest, you're going to love this paragraph. The writer now takes us to focus our attention upon who and what kind of person is Jesus who is our priest. For this is the kind of high priest we need. We need one who is holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, exalted above the heavens. One who doesn't need to offer sacrifices every day as high priests do, first for their own sins, then for those of the people. He did this once for all. Once for all. And how did he do it? He offered himself. He offered himself as a sacrifice. The law appoints, appoints as high priest men who are weak. But the promise of the oath, when God says, I will make you forever a high priest after the order of Melchizedek, that oath that God swore, that promise God made to his son and through his son to us, that oath... The promise of the oath, which came after the law, appoints a son, a son, God the Son, who has been perfected forever. The writer here wants to remind us that Jesus is not just another human. He is a human, but unlike anyone else ever born, he was God before he became a man. And when it talks about him being son, it's not intending to say to us that God the Father and Mary got together and had a baby. What it's intending to say is to us that God the Father, who with the Son and the Holy Spirit created everything and existed for eternity, that God Father sent God Son into the world through God Holy Spirit's agency. That's what that's meant to say. In other words, Jesus is not a Son of God, He's God the Son. He became Son of Man. That is, he took upon himself our human nature, became a man. That's what happened in the incarnation. And that's the only way he could be our substitute, die in our place, which he did. But in his resurrection, when he was raised from the, raised from the dead, God the Father is quoted as saying, I have begotten, I have begotten you today as my son. 
In other words, in this act of resurrection, I have acknowledged that your human experiences were perfectly performed. And I acknowledge that you are God the Son, who as Son of Man did everything so that any and all humans could be saved. Come, sit on my right hand, and I will make you high priest forever, but after the order of the pattern of Melchizedek and his high priesthood. Incredible. So he is God the Son, and when it says he has been perfected forever, that doesn't mean that he sinned. It means that he finished perfectly the work that he came into the world to do and did it as a man. That's what that means. He was willing to be a man, emptied himself of all the prerogatives of deity that kept him from doing that. And through a miracle of incarnation became a man and as a man fully did the will of the Father, accomplished all that the Father required, satisfied the law, paid the penalty for sin, and through his own sacrifice, offering himself, he secured salvation for us. Have I said it often enough? You got it? Now go back and look at those qualities that describe him. For this is the kind of high priest we need. If you want a person to be your high priest, these are the qualities you must find in that high priest. Holy. Holy. That means equal to God. That means absolutely separated or without any defilement, without any lacking quality of full deity. You want God to be your high priest. That's the point. Secondly, you want someone who is innocent. Innocent means that he is free from the defilement within and without. That, that's, that's basically what that means. One who has never experienced sin. One who's never been tainted by sin. One that no one else could ever charge with being sinful and therefore less perfect than God. Third thing, undefiled. That word means <laughs> nothing sticks to him. That's what that means. Nothing that would be smear, nothing that is less than perfection will stick to him. He is undefiled. We don't ever have to worry about Satan, any of his demons, any of his angels coming up and saying, but did you know that Jesus, don't worry about that. You need a high priest who is undefiled, who is absolutely free from the experience of sin in his own person, who is holy. Fourth thing, separated from sinners. How was he separated from sinners? That's to remind us that while Jesus Christ walked among sinners and while he became fully human, he never dabbled in their attitudes or actions. He is separated from sinners. Uh, folks will sometimes um, use that as an excuse for 
cravings that they have. They, they want to be in an environment where sin is being practiced, celebrated, worshiped, enjoyed. And they'll say, well, Jesus was a friend of publicans and sinners. Uh, he ate with the tax collectors. He this, he this, he this. This verse and others tell us that while he was there, he was still separated from them. And that's an amazing absent quality in most of the people I know who want to be in sinful environment, chosen by people who are prisoners to sin. Jesus was separated from them as a great gulf fix between his perfection. They knew it, and they acknowledged it. Untainted and exalted above the heavens. That means we need... We need a high priest who has position with God, not contact with God, not an arrangement with God, not a contract with God, not a good friend of God. We need somebody who is actually there, who has actually been exalted above the heavens to the very abode of God somebody who qualifies and is fitted to be face-to-face -face with God. God on God. That's the kind of high priest we need. And Jesus fits all those qualities. Therefore, he is able to save to the uttermost all who come by faith to him. By faith, not by works. His works, not mine. And he was perfected as God the man. And in all of those experiences of temptation and tears and all the things that we read about in his life, he learns what it is like. Watched what it was like for sin and death and corruption and what that does in the lives of humans. And then he went to the cross and died. I wanted to close tonight. Well, first of all, notice chapter 8, verse 1, where we go next week. Watch. Now, the main point of what is being said is this. We're going to get a summary next week. But first, I want to show you where we've been. Come all the way back, please, to chapter 1. I'll do this quickly. Chapter 1, notice with me, please. Notice chapter 1, verse 3. After making purification for sins, he, Jesus, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. See that? Chapter 1, verse 3 the author picks our eyes up and says, I want you to see Jesus where he is. I want you to know why he's there. I want you to know what his being there has to do with you and me. So at the very first brush of the book, he immediately focuses our attention on Jesus in heaven, seated at the right hand of God. You'll find another similar expression in chapter 2. But come please with me 
to chapter 3, and notice with me verse 6. Chapter 3, verse 6. It's talking about Moses, how he was faithful to God. Verse 6, Christ, that's Jesus, was faithful as a son over his household, whose household we are. Now we find ourselves connected with Jesus as a part of his family. How are we connected to him? We are connected to him through faith. See that clear in just a minute. We are his household if we hold fast to the, to the courage and confidence of our hope. Drop down with me, please, in the same chapter, chapter 3. Drop down to verse 14. For we have become companions of the Messiah if we hold firmly unto the end the reality that we had at the start. We have become more than household. We've become companions. We are friends. We are brothers. How did that happen? Well, look at chapter 4 and verse 3. 4, verse 3. We who have believed enter the rest, R-E-S-T. In keeping with what he said, so I swore in my wrath, they will not enter their rest. Yet his works have been finished from the foundation of the world. Notice also in verse, uh, drop down to verse 10. For the person who has entered his rest has rested from his own works just as God did from his. We enter the rest that God worked to provide for us. How do we enter that rest? Not by working. We enter the rest by believing. That's what verse 3 says. We who have believed enter the rest. So we are his companions, we are his household, we are yoked with him through faith, and by that faith connection, we have full benefits of his work that he did, and his work is finished. Look at verse 14, chapter 4, verse 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to the confession. Note, our high priest has already passed through the heavens. He didn't just go to heaven. He passed through all of the intermediate heavens that there may be till he reached the very throne of God. That's where our high priest is. He's not on earth seeking favor from God. He's not on earth working out some deal with God. He's already in God's presence, passed through the heavens, and as we read in chapter 1, he is seated at the right hand of the Father. Is your head swimming yet? Notice with me, please, in chapter 5, verse 7. During his earthly life, he offered prayers, appeals, with loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Though a son, he learned obedience to what he suffered. Verse 9, after he was perfected. He's perfected tonight. He's not still on trial. He's not still being tested. 
That is over. That's behind him. That equipped him to understand us, to relate to us, to be empathetic with us. That equipped him to be our substitute. But that's over. That's done. He has been perfected. And as one who was perfected, perfect tense, in the past, perfected and demonstrated in the resurrection, after he was perfected, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. He was declared by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. So he is our high priest there. Just a couple more. Look with me, please, in chapter 6 and verse 17. Because God wanted to show his unchangeable purpose even more clearly to the heirs of the promise. That's you and me. We have believed him. We've trusted him. We have accepted him as our Lord and Savior. Because God wanted to show his unchangeable purpose even more clearly to the heirs of the promise, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that through two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. Impossible for God to lie. We who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to seize the hope set before us. Seize this hope. We, uh, uh, verse 19, we have this hope like a sure and firm anchor of the soul. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the sanctuary where Jesus has entered on our behalf. He has become our high priest. He's there. He's in the Holy of Holies. He's in the presence of God. He has been perfected. He's accomplished the work. He is seated at the right hand of God. He is our high priest. He's on our side. He's the guarantee of our eternal salvation. There was one more I wanted you to look at. That's in chapter 7. Chapter 7 and verse 24. Because he, Jesus, remains, abides forever, lives forever, he holds his priesthood permanently. Therefore, he is always able to save those who come to God through him since he always lives. That's the theme of the book. You're secure. You're as good as there. There's no if, and, or but. You can know that you are saved. You can know that you are secure. You can know that nothing can separate you from the love of God in Jesus Christ. You can know that you have been forgiven, cleansed, accepted, born in the family of God, and dwelt with the Spirit of God, and nothing, listen, nothing you can do can cancel can cancel your contract because nothing can ever disqualify him. Amen? Now in the next couple of chapters, the author's going to take us a little deeper and he's going to open some doors that are going to blow our minds. He's going to talk about the sanctuary where Jesus sits. He's going to talk about the sacrifice that Jesus gave. He's going to talk about the security of the new covenant, the new law, the new agreement, the new treaty, the new contract.
incredible book. Lord Jesus, we thank you tonight for our salvation full and free. We thank you that your priesthood rests upon your perfection, not our perfectibility. We thank you it is secure because you finished the work. We thank you that it rests squarely upon one who is eternally qualified, for you are God the Son. We thank you that you ever live, ever live. Nothing can ever separate us from you. Nothing can ever diminish, destroy, defeat your living. You and the Father are one. And we are in your care. And you are able to save to the uttermost all, even me, who come by faith to you. Thank you for this incredible plan of redemption and salvation. So help us to, to embrace the hope, the confidence, the assurance that is ours in your promises in your perfection, in your finished work. Help us to rest secure in what we're going to yet learn about the new covenant that flows out and defines and explains who you are and who we are because we trust you. Thank you for my brothers and sisters and I pray that these words from the pen of the apostle will burn in our hearts and that we'll grasp them and we'll learn to shout with Paul, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, nothing. Or there's no condemnation of those who are in Christ Jesus, none. Thank you. Now help us to place our expectation upon the things that you promised, which are our future, as they are yours, and help us to live with eternal values and promises in view. We ask this in Jesus' precious name and for his glory alone, amen. Jesus called us his brothers, his siblings. We are co-heirs, sharers in his victory and his rest, in my favorite term, his friends. Why would we want to go back to the old status of being mere servants? Jim gave us that quick review to show us how far we've come in the book of Hebrews. We'll embark on a new section next time. This sermon is called A Priest Who Lives Forever. If you'd like a copy on CD, it's available for your gift of $7 or more. God's Ultimatum, Volume 1 is the name of our current series. You can get all 19 of those talks on CD for an offering of $66 or more. At Christmas, we think a lot about gifts, hopefully starting with God's gift of His Son. If one of the presents you give this year could be a donation to Right Start, we'd be truly grateful. It would help especially now as we prepare for the new year. And thanks for your prayers. To join our cozy little group, the Friends of the Ministry, you can mail us at Right Start, P.O. Box 437, Worthington, Ohio, 43085, USA, or call 1-800-984-2313. That's 800-984-2313. And if you missed both of those, just visit our website, rightstartradio.org. 
There's much more ministry waiting for you there. You can play radio programs going back several years and play or download complete sermons. There's a link to the Right Start podcast, which is the daily radio show available on your mobile device, and more, as they say, at rightstartradio.org. Thanks for listening. I'm Dan Pope. Some in the first century were willing to settle for a model of God's abode and passing up the real thing. Have a great weekend, and then join us again for the next Right Start. Right Start.